Good morning. It's good to be here and across the border and with you all to worship. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3? The sermon this morning is from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through chapter 4, verse 5. Let's hear the word of God together. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning that we can gather together as your people, uh, brothers and sisters, and worship you. What a privilege it is to worship you. You have redeemed us through the blood of your Son, and you have given us this joy to ascribe to you worth and glory and strength. Father, we ask this morning as we come together that as we look into your word, that you would move our hearts, not just to understand your word, but to obey your word, to be conformed to your word, to have your word transform our minds and our appetites and our desires. And we trust, Father, that you will do it this morning, for your voice is powerful and your voice is full of majesty, as Psalm 29 tells us. So that is our hope this morning, that we will indeed hear you speak, and that your voice will affect change forever. So we pray this in your Son's name, amen. So beginning ministry, where do you start? Preaching. Um, so I start thinking through it all, and I, I decided to set three Sundays aside to begin preaching on just the basic matters of church ministry, preaching, prayer, sacraments, or the ordinances. And so we have a three-week series to begin with, and the aim of the series is not simply to rehearse what preaching is or, or what prayer is, but we want to do something more than that. Uh, The aim of this series is to look into these matters and see through these matters and and look at who God is, what our God is like. And so this morning, the the topic is preaching. And so the goal this morning is not to simply preach about preaching, but to go deeper than that. Uh, It's like if you're peeling back the onion, you peel back the layer of preaching. And what lies underneath that onion 
is that's what we want to see. And so the question we want to answer is, what does preaching reveal to us about the character of God? Or what does this God-ordained work show us of who our God is and what he is like? So my hope this morning is that we look at preaching, that we'll get to see just a glimpse of who our God is and what he is like. And as, that is, and as we see who our God is and what he is like, our faith in his word will grow, that our appetite for his word will increase, and that even today we might experience the, the power of God in our midst through the preaching of his word. <clears throat> uh, when, I think of, when I think of preaching and the power of God, uh, my mind automatically runs to the man uh, Martin Luther in this past year, I, I devoted quite a bit of time to studying Luther because of the Reformation uh, celebration. And in many ways, when we think of the Reformation, it was not just a, a reclamation project of the doctrines of the gospel, like justification by faith, but it was also a reclamation project of the true ministry of the church. And the Reformers came along and they, they started asking questions like, how is the church to be built up? How is the church to be nourished and fed? How does the church grow? How does God do this? And as the reformers went back to the scriptures and reasoned through the scriptures, they came to preaching. And, and preaching was the central hallmark of the Reformation. And when we look at Luther's life and ministry, his whole life is an illustration of this fact. At every moment in his life, we can see the, the, wor the word of God wielding its power. We can think to the 95 Theses that question the sale of indulgences, and we see the Word wielding its power as he wrote those. We can remember when he went to the Diet of Worms, and he might have said, Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. We see the Word of God working through that. And so on all these events, the Word of God is operative. Um, this morning I want to look past some of these more well-known events in Luther's life and look at a lesser-known part of his life, because in this lesser-known part of his life, the, the power of God and the preaching of the Word and his, and his method of tying these together brightly shines forth. So when we think of the Reformation, we, we usually think of the, the Reformers protesting against Rome and the corruptions of the medieval church, but Rome was not the only opponent of the Reformation project. Uh, in a short time, after the Reformation began, Luther began to detect enemies of the gospel within his own ranks. Um, they were called the, the radicals. And so after the Diet of Worms, so Luther made this great stand. If you know anything about Luther's life, he makes this stand. And after he leaves the city, he is suddenly kidnapped by a group of friends and they whisk him away to hiding for his own good. And while he's whisked away in hiding, he's not able to preach and so things do not go well in Wittenberg while Luther is in safety. Unhealthy views of reform creep into the town, and they're built upon inadequate views of the Word of God. And so these radicals come along, and the result of the radicals' teaching is that mobs of young men gather around these radicals, and they start going through the town being stirred up in zeal, and they start literally smashing people's idols, breaking into shops and homes, and all of a sudden, there's just violence in Wittenberg. Uh, these young men are stirred up. They're zealous about idolatry, and they want to rid the town of it. However, there's a problem with all this violence is, is that there, there could be trouble, and more trouble is growing. 
And so Luther is appalled by the violence, and he comes out of hiding, and he quells the, this violence of these young men through preaching. And Luther understood in these sermons that the problem was not the enthusiasm of the young men. They were enthusiastic. The problem was not that they were smashing idols, even. Rather, the fundamental problem of these young men is that they sought to do with their fists and clubs what the preached word of God could only do. They sought to bring about gospel change to rid the town of idolatry, but they sought to do it through their own power, not through the power of the preached word. And so Luther comes along and he, he preaches a series of sermons, and they're, they're very powerful, and they, they illustrate what true gospel ministry is supposed to be. And so he preaches, and here's just a couple excerpts from these sermons. He says, We must first win the hearts of the people, but that is done when I teach only the word of God and preach the gospel. And he goes on to say, God would accomplish more with the word than if you and I were to pile all of our power into one heap. And my favorite quote from these sermons is, I taught and preached and wrote God's word alone. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank with my friends, the word did so much that the papacy weakened in such a way that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So Luther comes along in these sermons and he's, he's sorting out the problems going on in, in Wittenberg. And he comes and he points the people to the true source of life. He points the, the people to the word of God and he points the people to its faithful preaching. And even more, he, he points to a more fundamental matter, the power of God. He says, God would accomplish more with the word than if you and I were to pile all our power into one heap. So where does Luther get these kind of convictions from? What shaped his ministry, his methods? The answer is the word of God. And when you study the scriptures, Luther's desire is matched by Paul's desire in 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul's coming to the end of his ministry. The finish line is drawing near, and in this short letter, he's writing to encourage his faithful son, Timothy. And again and again in 2 Timothy, Paul calls this younger son in the faith to the word of God. It's like a drumbeat beating constantly in this letter. And as the letter continues on, as you keep reading through 2 Timothy, the drumbeat gets louder and louder. Paul encourages Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And he exhorts Timothy in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. And in the next verse, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good, good deposit entrusted to you. And he even cheers Timothy on. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, the word of God is not bound. And by the time we come to chapters 3 and 4, Paul's drum is getting very, very loud. Paul's at fever pitch. He's not going to let Timothy go. He's not going to let us go until we burn with the same desire and same commitments that he does. And so this is where we get this beautiful explanation of Scripture and its use. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
In 2 Timothy, Paul's concern is very plain. We, we really can't miss it. The preached word for the people of God. This is how God builds his church. We want to do something this morning as we look into 2 Timothy. We want to dig into these words. We want to ask Paul questions. Why shouldn't Timothy be ashamed about the testimony? Why should Timothy follow the pattern of sound words? Why is it necessary that Timothy guard the good deposit? Why does Timothy need to be a good workman, an approved workman? Why is Scripture so necessary? Why preaching? We could even ask questions of Luther this morning. Why would he insist upon preaching when these clubs are doing such a great job of smashing idols and getting rid of these in the town? Why wait upon the word to change minds when when you can have fists? Why would he say he did nothing and the word did everything? And I think we'll find answers to these questions when we dig into chapters 3 and 4. Uh, a continual frustration of mine often is when I read the Bible is, is that there's these bold headings in the Bible. Often they're, they're, they can be helpful in framing, making sense of your Bible and sometimes the argument of a, a particular passage, but these bold headings are not original to the text. Your chapter numbers aren't original to the text. Uh, the verse numbers aren't original to the text. And editors came along later and placed these things in to help us uh, quickly make sense of our Bibles. So I can talk to someone else and say, hey, 2 Timothy 3.16, and you know what I'm talking about. However, sometimes these breaks are very unhelpful, and I think that's the case this morning as we look at our text. Um, I think the the break between chapter 3, verse 17, and chapter 4, verse 1, disconnects Paul's flow of thought a bit. So this morning we want to pretend that there's this bold heading there, and it's not there. Um, Because if we move that heading out of there, we see there's this great connection between Paul's definition of Scripture and its origin and its use. Paul is building a, he lays the foundation in, in chapter 3 and then he builds upon it in chapter 4. So this morning we're going to deconstruct Paul's logic a bit and we're going to start downstream in Paul's argument and work ourselves to upstream in Paul's argument. So starting downstream, we're going to look first at chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. So Paul says here, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. This is such a glorious statement. Nowhere in the New Testament is there given so much weight to a specific work. Paul is so serious, and he wants Timothy to feel the weight of this task. It's like he places this yoke upon Timothy's shoulders, and he comes alongside him, and he's placing a weight and another weight, and another weight on his shoulders. And he's telling Timothy, the work that you have been given, this work of preaching, bears eternal significance. Give yourself fully to it. And what you are doing in preaching is done in the presence of God, and what you are doing in preaching will be heard by the one who will judge the entire world. Paul is so serious about preaching. And we have to ask, why is Paul so serious about preaching. Why does preaching matter so much in the mind of Paul? And Paul gives us an answer. And his answer is this. Preaching is an instrument, or we could say the chief instrument, by which the people of God are formed by Christ, made like Christ, and even made ready for Christ. 
In the mind of Paul, preaching does not exist for the sake of preaching. It doesn't exist for rhetoric or entertainment or even for the giving forth of information. Rather, God has ordained preaching for the formation and the continual transformation of the people of God. In preaching, as Christ is heralded week by week, as his glory is made known, as his character is revealed, as we hear his words repeated again and again, as the stories of the scriptures are rehearsed, we're changed, we're transformed. God is at work in preaching, renewing our minds through his word. He's reshaping our wills. He's broadening our affections so we can love him more. He's increasing our joy through this. And this is what preaching aims at, creating a people who can worship God. And so when Paul talks about preaching in chapters 3 and 4, he always ties the work of preaching to the transformation of the people of God. He's not going to let this be separated. And so if you look at chapter 3, verse 16, Paul tells us that Scripture is profitable for teaching and for training. And we move on to verse 17, and he reveals the, the purpose of training and tr- teaching and training with the Scriptures. And it's this, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So where does teaching and training lead? Where does this use of the Scriptures lead? Well, Paul tells us it leads to a people willing and ready and competent to live the Christian life. If we move down to chapter 4, verse 2, Paul commands Timothy to preach, and he ties preaching with these transformational words. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. What do reproofs and rebukes do? Well, they call us back from sin, turn away from this. What do exhortations do? They encourage us on, continue in holiness, continue in righteousness. And and what Paul is doing here is he's filling out what does preaching look like in the body of Christ? Well, it's tied to all these transformational words of reproofs, rebukes, and exhortations. Preaching is aimed at shaping the body of Christ. So as we let this season in our minds, a very simple application comes to us. If we want to grow in holiness, if we want to grow in righteousness, if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, we have to bring ourselves to the preaching of the Word. We have to sit underneath it. And so that requires that we get out of bed, we set our alarms, we come to church, we find a seat and we listen. But more importantly, it it means something more. Because if we desire holiness, if we desire Christ-likeness, We have to bring our hearts to the preaching of the Word. We must come and and, and submit our our whole selves under the Word. We can come with, with with Paul's words on our lips and say, I am a living sacrifice to you, O God, and my whole being from my head to my toes, I come and submit to you and under your Word. And we, we can pray as we gather together to hear the word that the great physician would, would draw near with the sharp instrument of his word and, and pierce us. That he would do the double work of wounding and healing, that he would come and he would cut out sin, and that he would bind us together with his words of peace. That's our hope as we, as we draw near. But the great tragedy is if we don't bring ourselves under the word and if we don't humble our hearts to the word preached, we won't have any appetite for the word. 
We will soon not care for it. If we go down to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul states his concern for the church, for Timothy. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul is saying here is without the preached word, sin begins to grow stronger in our hearts. And we, over time, without the influence of the preached word, we become stiff and out of shape. Our hearts become like rocks, jagged and hard. And without this exposure to the truth continually, our minds will become convinced of lies. And without this diet of the truth, our appetites begin to change. We no longer yearn for Christ. We no longer desire for devotedness to God. And we become more comfortable with sin and with our, ourselves. And what happens is we find teachers to suit our own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth. And we're going to wander off into myths. And this is Paul's concern with Timothy. This is why he needs to preach the word so the people of God are continually transformed. Writing 150 years ago, a black Presbyterian minister by the name of Francis Grimke wrote, what we need is instruction, careful, painstaking instruction in the things of God as set forth in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here little and there little, if we are to develop properly, to grow strong morally and spiritually, and are to be saved from falling into error. A ministry that is given up to the careful and prayerful exposition of the scriptures will be a fruitful ministry, a ministry under which the people will be able to grow in righteousness and holiness. That's so true. That's Paul's very concern in, in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. Why preach? Because through preaching, Christ comes and he he forms us. He makes us like himself and he makes us ready for himself. So we're in the river of Paul's thought. We're in the stream and we need to continue to wade further up the stream. We can wade further up the stream by asking Paul another question. How in the world does preaching change people's lives? How can such powerful effects, such life-shaping effects, be accomplished through such a strange means? And for Paul, the answer lies in the speaker of the Word. The reason why Paul preaches, the reason why Paul endures suffering in his ministry, is because of his confidence in the speaker of the Scriptures. And Paul, in his answer, brings us to the headwaters of his argument. He brings us to God himself. And in verse 16, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture does not contain, just contain the Word of God, but it is the very Word of God. We have to say every word, every sentence, every book issues forth from the very mouth of God. And this is the utter glory of preaching. This is why preaching takes central stage within the life of the church because preaching just does not point us to God. Preaching does not just tell us about God. Preaching does not just reveal what God has done through Jesus Christ for us. But preaching is actually God himself speaking in our midst. The scriptures opened up and read and preached are only powerful because of the God who has spoken and speaks. Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God. And Paul here 
tethers his ministry, his method of ministry, to God himself. And if you look at Paul's ministry at all points, this is the foundational logic of his ministry. He's always coming back and tethering what he does to who God is, and to how God works through his word. In 2 Timothy, he's facing suffering, and what does he hope in as he's, as he's bound with chains? His hope is this, the word of God is not bound. And when he's facing weakness, he reasons this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And in the face of wisdom, worldly wisdom, he boasts, he says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of, of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this makes all the difference for us as we approach the Scriptures week by week. So we're not just opening up a dead and dry book. We're not just coming to an encyclopedia that just gives us definitions. This is what God is like. We do not just open up a manual that tells us how to live. Now we come to something more than that, something even more glorious in all of these things. We open up, we gaze upon, and we even hear the words that have come from the mouth of our God. And this makes all the difference when we think about preaching, because preaching is not powerful because of the personalities that preach or even the skill of the person who preaches. Preaching is not fundamentally about the person behind the pulpit, but preaching is all about the God who speaks and has spoken. This is where the power of preaching comes from, the mouth of the all-powerful God. And so our doctrine of God, of who God is and what He is like, must fill out our theology of the preached Word. For the precious good news of the scriptures is, is that the God, when a God speaks, things happen. We can just think to the, the creation account. When our God speaks, oceans and mountains and valleys are formed. When our God speaks, planets and stars are all flung into space. When our God speaks, nations tremble at His word. When our God speaks, promises are made that can never be broken. And when our God speaks, guilty The guilty are proclaimed innocent. When our God speaks, dead are raised to life. And when our God speaks, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And this is why Psalm 29 can say, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And it's because of the voice of the Lord that it's powerful, that it's full of majesty, that we have hope as we gather week by week. We need to grow in Christ's likeness. And it can happen because the voice of the Lord is powerful. We need our hearts enlarged. We need our affections broadened. And our hope is that the voice of the Lord is powerful. We have children who have yet professed faith And our hope is that the Word of God is powerful and will come and create faith in their dead hearts. This is why Paul says, and this is why Paul encourages Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is what makes preaching preaching. And when we look at preaching, 
And when we study preaching, we can look underneath it and see the God whose voice is powerful. And this is why Luther, in in the face of, of such troubles, could reason this way. I taught and preached and wrote God's word alone, otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept or drank with my friends, the word did so much that the papacy weakened in such a way that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing, the word did everything. This is why Paul commanded Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So let's saturate our lives with the preach word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are the God who spoke and still speaks. And we trust that your voice is powerful and that you will even affect change today in our hearts. You will change our minds and our affections, that you will, you will broaden us, that you will grow us, that you will bring us to greater, more full maturity. We hope in you. Amen.